Walk through persecution with your head held high, knowing that the glory on the other side is far greater than the pain you must endure, is a quote that Adrian Tracy, a Super Bowl champion and 10-year veteran of the NFL and CFL, lives by. With his faith as his compass, Adrian takes us through the reality of the highs and lows of being a professional athlete and the invaluable lessons that are revealed in your darkest moments. Growing up, I always want to see more people who look like me that were successful. Can I afford to take a risk to follow my dreams? We are excited to bring you the Make Your Mark podcast, hosted by philanthropist Kim Niles. The Make Your Mark podcast allows you to hear personal stories of resilience by professionals and public figures of color. Our guests unapologetically share their triumphs, lessons learned, and how they found balance in their experiences. Tune in to equip yourself with strategies and coping mechanisms on how to boldly make your mark. Subscribe and listen now. Hello, Adrian. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It is truly my pleasure to sit here with you this afternoon and share space to have this conversation. So I would love for our viewers to get to know a little bit more about you. So tell us about your journey into becoming a professional athlete. All right. Well, I'm originally from Virginia, Fairfax, to be exact. Um, I was born to a single parent, uh, and is her name. In April of 87, um, so that makes me, yeah, a little bit older than you guys, but still in the current space as far as uh, professional sports, and so I think that's very relative. Um, I actually started playing football later in life, uh, probably around the age of 13, and uh, it was more so because my mom was afraid I was going to get hurt. I always wanted to play um, from when I was six years old, and the Dallas Cowboys were my favorite NFL team, and Emmitt Smith was my favorite football player, so... The passion to play was always there um, and the passion to be a professional athlete was there from when I was young as well. And so I initially thought I was going to be in the path of basketball because uh, that was kind of the family sport, if you would. Everybody in my family, whether it be older cousins, whether it be uncles or even my father who played college basketball, um, you know, that was a sport they pursued. And so as I got older and my mom allowed me to play football. I realized that it was kind of my therapy because me not having a significant relationship with my father, I realized there are some anger management issues that I had. And so football was a way in which I could get those things out and actually be praised for them. Uh, I remember when Little League, I actually was playing against my younger brother and sister's principal son's team. And unfortunately, I broke his neck, not on purpose, but that was just kind of the aggression that I was playing with. and. It wasn't until actually later on in my professional career that I realized how much I was leaning on sports, specifically football, uh, in order to be my therapy and how, especially in this space that we're currently in, it may not have been the best um, as far as how I was leaning on it, identifying myself solely with that, as opposed to kind of embracing who I became to be as a man, as a whole. Um, so coming from a high school, kind of that wasn't really highly recruited. Um, it was difficult for me to get into college, but all through growing up, you know, my mom had stressed that academics were extremely important and that once I was hanging up the cleats, um, you know, I would still have to be able to think for myself, get a job, be able to maintain a certain status of living. And so having an education, having a diploma was very important for that. So in our household, it was at academics before athletics. If I didn't have at least an AB average in all my courses, I couldn't even go to practice. So it was something that she instilled in me, like I said, from a young age. And it actually was a godsend because I walked on to the football team at the university that I played at, William & Mary. Um, and I was able to do that because I got in strictly based off of my academic standards um, and uh, was able to then, after I got to university and, you know, show the talent that I had, show the work ethic and the dedication, I um, was able to earn a full scholarship. But my first year and a half or maybe even two years, 
um, my family and I were paying out of pocket. I remember going back home one summer and having to work at a moving company. And that was one of the most labor intensive jobs that I've ever had in my life. And I remember that summer saying like, God, cause I'm a man of faith. My mom also wants to let me, I said, God, I don't ever want to be in this position to where, you know, I'm not utilizing certain gifts and talents that you've given me to be able to, you know, help and inspire other people. And so I'm thankful that I'm in this position right now to even share this story because, you know, that as I reflect on was a, a prayer that he's answered. Um, but upon, you know, being in that position, I remember going back to university and, and just continuing to work hard. And it allowed me to garner the attention of NFL scouts. Um, they would show up at our practices, show up at our games. And um, it all culminated in me getting drafted to the New York Giants in 2010. And uh, that was, you know, a dream come true. Um, I remember, you know, being young, like I said, and wanted to be a professional athlete. And, you know, God's way of me being able to achieve that dream was through football. And so that really began kind of my understanding of, you know, separating who I was from, from what I did. I was so invested and so ingrained in becoming a professional athlete, you know, being able to pay for my, you know, my mom and my dad or my stepdad's, uh, you know, house and car and, you know, being able to just set my family up and establish myself. And I just got so ingrained in that, that literally, who I was and my identity was in the ebbs and flows of my successes and failures through the eyes of the coaches. And, you know, that kind of worked sometimes to my favor when I was able to channel it, you know, in a constructive way, um, but other times to my detriment. Um, and, you know, just a short span of time from, you know, becoming a Super Bowl champion to literally the next year living on my parents' couch at home was something that looked, put everything in perspective. Um, as far as, like I said, understanding, you know, who I was and what I did and how there was a, a separation between the two. Um, and honestly, you know, I think it was a God wink. My, my fiance calls moments like this when kind of you're isolated or in a moment of uh, exclusion from where you think you should be. The moments that our guys trying to get our attention. Um, and I just remember being in a super depressive state and feeling like, you know, this is all I work my life towards. You know, it was a dream that I've had. Um, and I was able to achieve it even when the Super Bowl, but now I literally was on the top of the mountain. Now I'm definitely at the bottom of the valley. And I just had a lot of questions as to like why it happened. And, you know, the answers were slowly coming. And to be honest, they're still slowly coming <laughs> to this day. But uh, in that moment, it was, like I said, to separate from who, who I was and who God created to be me to be and the purpose that, you know, he instilled in my life and what I'm, you know, really created to do as opposed to the certain paths and vehicles that, that get us there. I was enamored with the lifestyle and wanted to, like I said, provide for my family, which isn't a bad thing, but my priorities were out of whack. Like I said, my mom had raised me, you know, in the church and became a man of faith. And that priority as far as, you know, putting God first and understanding where everything else fell afterwards was something that I didn't grasp at that time. And, you know, people can say you were 21, and, you know, you're young, you go from, Virginia to New York City, making the most money in your life. And, you know, those in my mind are, are all apt, but they're all excuses. And, and I don't want it to be an excuse. And so I was out of football for about a year. Uh, and in that moment in time, it was time for me to reflect. Uh, I actually got a job being a personal trainer. And in that space, like I said, it was God just kind of reinstilling me like who I was and what I was able to do and contribute outside of football and still adding value. And even though it may not have been in the way that I wanted, I was still making a difference. And if, if it was just one person who was affected in a positive way, that I should be happy that I left that on, on somebody's life. And so it kind of put things in perspective as far as what I was truly trying to achieve. Was I trying to achieve you know, the success and status for me? Or was it really in the position of helping others and trying to be, like I said, what God created me to be? And so, I had an opportunity to get back in the NFL with the Arizona Cardinals and I went out there and I did everything right. I did everything that I was supposed to do. And unfortunately it didn't work out as it should. And so when I was on a flight back at home, it was a different feeling than it was when I was going back from New York to Virginia. And it was more so a sense of peace because I know that it didn't reflect who I was, the fact that I didn't go there and achieve what, what it is that I said to do. It was just, in that span of time, maybe a slight detour for me to just fully recognize like what it is that I'm capable of doing. 
And that opened the door to me playing in the CFL up here in Canada. And, you know, it was, it was interesting how that came about um, because a university teammate of mine that I played with and actually went to the NFL and played for the Indianapolis Colts and then also was with me in New York for a small stint. Um, he introduced me to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And so I was in the midst of trying to decide whether I wanted to go back to school to be a doctor because that's initially what I had decided to go to school for sports medicine, or if I still wanted to kind of, you know, pursue something that I felt like was uh, unanswered. I had a lot of questions as far as like, whether or not that was like my peak, whether or not I could contribute to a team wholeheartedly the way that I had desired, the way that I had my entire time playing football up to that point. And so I felt like this gave me an opportunity not to prove anything to anybody else, but more so to challenge myself and to continue that journey and that pursuit as far as, like I said, kind of the ins and outs of, of who God created me, me to be in this season. And so coming up here was probably one of the scariest, but also like best things that I ever did. I literally moved up here with just me uh, and whatever else I had in regards to my bank account, which was dwindling at the, at the time. And uh, just decided to invest in Canada. Didn't really have any guarantees, didn't have anything set in stone, but just had, you know, a sense of faith that this is where I needed to be for the season of just growth and development, uh, away from family, away from friends, away from just things that were common and familiar, uh, you know, a space for me to grow. And I think that, you know, in those uncomfortable spaces is where like our true, our true identity is found because it forces you to look in the mirror when you don't have what it is that you're usually leaning on. And you know, not to say that a support system isn't good, but a support system, in my opinion, is only as good as as they know you to be. So if you're faking the funk because you're trying to live up to something that you haven't aspired to be, then it's hard for them to help because they're contributing to something that's a false reality, if that makes any sense. So it was a little reflection time, like I said, just in my own space, being myself and trying to continue to see who God wanted to be as a man. And still at the time, which he blessed me to do, you know, play football and do something that I was very uh, passionate about. And, you know, my time here in Hamilton has been amazing. I've been able to contribute to the community uh, in various ways, whether it be hospital visits to the children's hospital, whether it be, you know, food drives, soup kitchens, whether it be the state of care for asthma and whatnot. So it was an opportunity for me to like really thank God for like the development that I had from my first space in professional sports as far as New York, in which I was kind of isolated. And like I said, trying to live the lifestyle and assume certain things that, like I said, may not have been bad, but were not appropriate for the time. And to where I was now, where my first thought was, how can I give back and contribute and use this platform to the best of my ability, like I should have done in the very beginning. And so professional sports for me has been something that has been the vehicle kind of to develop me as a man. And I wouldn't say that it defines like who I am. There's a lot of things outside of sports that I'm very passionate about. But from that little kid that first fell in love with Emmett Smith and the Dallas Cowboys when he was six to, you know, the grown man that I am now, you know, with future kind of hanging in the balance in regards to football, um, it's been a great journey. And like I said, one that, that's been a blessing. It's led me to meet a great number of people uh, my fiance being one of them. And um, it's afforded me to travel and it's afforded my family a lot of opportunities as well. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just a single step as far as, you know, my ascension to continue to understand who I am and what I can contribute. So talk about a journey and a <laughs> half. Yeah. Yeah. Story. Adrian, what would you say your biggest accomplishment has been till now? Ah, and this may sound like very like cheesy. It may sound very um, like unpopular, but my biggest achievement has really like be becoming like familiar with who I am. And I don't want to say like knowing who I am because that changes with every season, but like familiar, there's certain things that I feel like before the level of maturity that I was at, that I was just going with blinders. But now that I've had to, you know, I've had to endure the highs and the lows and realize like what life is about and just realize 
that is maintaining that constant, whatever that source is for you plugging it in. Like I said, for me, it's my faith. And outside of that, it's my family. But once you're familiar with yourself and once you get to know yourself, one, you're doing yourself a, a favor as far as, you know, being able to, to just operate in your space and being able to flow and being able to, to just be creative and be true. And in that space, you realize like who's really for you and who's really trying to support the vision that you have and not just support you for what you can give to them. And I don't think you can really have that sense of freedom and that sense of, of support and that sense of just direction and vision, unless you know like who, like who you are or like what it is that you're trying to accomplish in that season. And so I can honestly say that it's been a journey, but I'm like truly becoming Adrian and I'm liking like who that man is. And it's been a process, but it's been one of my greatest achievements thus far. What a revelation and also a blessing to really come into yourself. Yes. Yes. It's like I said, it's a process and everybody's different, right? I'm, I'm hard headed. So at 34, I feel like I finally come into realizing who God has want me to be. Not to say that I know the depths of who I am and what I can and can't do, because I feel like that's an ever growing process as my relationships get stronger. And as I continue to push towards my vision and my purpose, but it's just freeing. You know what I mean? It's just a sense of understanding, like, even though it took me to 34 to get it, I got it. So it's not a matter of like how fast you get it or comparing your journey to somebody else. It's just a matter of you staying true, true to the process and, and trusting that at the end, there is a benefit. There is a blessing. You know, I have a tattoo on my leg (laughs) and it's crazy because I'm so excited that like some of these things are coming to fruition, but it says walk through persecution with your head held high, knowing that the blessing on the other side is far greater than the pain you must endure. And so when you think about that, as far as like your perspective, I feel like it makes everything that you go through, whether good or bad, worth it. Looking to consolidate your debt? In the market to purchase your first home? Interested in acquiring an investment property? Look no further. More Freedom is here to serve you. We aim to furnish our clients with the power and the confidence over their finances and a sense of accomplishment of taking the first step to get there. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at I Want More Freedom. And you can always connect with us via our website at morefreedom.ca. You talk a lot about who you are versus what you do. Where did you, where did that awareness come from at such a young age? Uh, It came when I felt like I had my biggest failure. Um, Like I said, I literally went from winning a Super Bowl and the next season doing well in training camp. And a lot of the coaches talking about me being an integral part of the defense and me honestly starting to see like the fruits of my labor to in a span of a week, two weeks after those conversations, literally being on my mom's couch at home in Virginia for the next six, seven months, you know? And it was in that span of time where I was really fighting with like, dang, you failed. Like you, you didn't achieve what it is you set out to do. You know what I'm saying? And it's not like you got knocked down and you get back up. Like you're out and you're pretty much in the position of potentially being looked over for the season. And you know how the business is as far as getting rolled over. And so just being by myself in that state, like I said, it's good sometimes to be by yourself and it's bad sometimes to be by yourself. But those negative thoughts continue to compound. And it wasn't honestly until my mom one day came down and, <laughs> and said, like, are you done? And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, are you done feeling sorry for yourself? She was like, you've been on this couch for three, four weeks. I've sat here and you haven't moved. And it's been the same thing. She was like, recognize that even before you, you know, went to football and realized that it could be a job for you, you wanted to go to university to be a doctor. And she was like, you got in because of your, your grades. Like, you're not what football has presented to you to this point. Like, it's just a piece of who you are. And so when she put it in that perspective, and like I said, I was able to then understand like, all right, I'm not 
solely identify with football and the successes and failures I have. It's not like people are looking at me, oh, dang, like you got cut, you ain't, you ain't, you know what, and just moving on. Like if they are individuals like that, then they weren't true friends or family in the first place. And so once I was able to, like I said, grasp that and give myself just the value, like, yo, like you made it to the NFL. Like how many percentage of people do that? And then you were on a team that won the Super Bowl. You have a Super Bowl ring. How many people can say that? You know, I had to separate like, all right, just because that is kind of the close of that chapter, like that doesn't define what the chapter was. Like go back and, and look through those pages, like and what you're able to accomplish. And so, like I said, when I was able to separate, okay, what I've done from who I am and realize that I can contribute and use those same skills and talents that I had cultivated through football and other areas and other venues to help people and probably reach even more people. That's when I was able to, like I said, have that realization understanding, but it was only through that failure. I don't think that if I had that failure that I would be able to realize and separate the two. I think if I continue to have success, 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 then, you know, the more ingrained that I would be in it, the harder it would be for me to separate from it. I, I believe it's true when they say you're me- in your in your mess, you find your message. That's man, that's very true. That's very true. And and that's that that right there allows me not to all the time question or ultimately in in with a question when I feel like God has me in seasons that I don't understand. Because I realize that what I'm going through, yes, is for me, is for me to gain something from it, whether it be, you know, an understanding of myself, whether it be, you know, a deeper revelation of my relationship with God. But at the end of the day, it's never failed that whatever I experienced, especially in this realm of football, has been able to relate to somebody who's been in a similar experience, but maybe a couple stages before I realized that I, you know, I needed to reach out for help. So like, whether it be the fact that, you know, going from a Super Bowl winning championship team to coming up to Canada and being on the practice roster, to then working your way up from the practice roster to, okay, now you're on the active roster, you're rotating in at your position and then being a five-year starter after that, you know, and garnering a lot of the respect from top tier athletes across the league. That's one of the things that I feel like is has been like beneficial and something that I've been able to continue to push towards. And, and those things that I've constructed as far as the work ethic, you know, the discipline, the understanding of just how things work is something that I can then extract, like I said, from that and then use in other venues in my life after football. I mean, you know, it's so profound the the what sports can do for your life and a child being involved in sport from a young age. I mean, you talked about a lot of critical pieces there, especially the discipline factor. Now, there's also that huge piece of failure that you mentioned, uh, you know, coming from a Super Bowl championship and then going down, coming down, I should say, to Canada, if I should say it like that, and, you know, being on the practice roster. How did you deal with that emotion from being on such a high and then coming down and having to deal with the realization, this is where I am now. Like I said, just, just being honest with myself. And I think that um, sometimes a lot of the successes you have, and especially if you have in a row without failures, can give you a false sense of reality. And I think that's what I was living with for a certain amount of time. And it just takes some of those, you know, ebbs and flows of life that, you know, knock you down for you to understand kind of the, the realization of, of where you are and what it is and kind of like, everything isn't, isn't going to be, you know, smooth sailing. Like there's a reason why, you know, you say you, you you find your mess in your message or there's, you know, test and you realize it's a testimony after you've gone past it, because there's a lot of things that you learn in that process. There's a lot of things that you acquire and you add to your tool belt that I potentially, that I, that I feel are important for the next level and that allow you to sustain that next level and the problems that you may, you know, see and the blessings that you then have to, you know, endure. They say, you know, as you, with the new levels bring new devils, I guess is what they say. And I think that the process that allows you to continue to fight and to continue to stay strong and continue to, to maintain is what you've learned as you've, you know, fought on the way, on the way there. What did it feel like being at a Super Bowl? Because only a very, very small percent of the population will ever understand what that feels like. 
it was it was surreal to be honest. The entire process from when we won uh, in Green Bay and knew that we were going, and then just preparation, and then getting the actual Super Bowl tickets and seeing them hard copy, and then getting on the flight. I remember beforehand, a lot of my friends and I on the team went out, and we obviously, you know, had to get new luggage. We had to get a couple of things for the flight, you know, a couple of things for the trip, and it was the first Super Bowl that was in a cold area. So that part was the part that was probably the the only low light. Um, so it kind of limited like the experience that we could have outside of football, because they were saying, you know, when you get there, a lot of people don't get this opportunity. So just take everything in. And so I remember listening to, you know, the, the vets talking about previous cities. I think they had in Arizona when they won the previous Super Bowl and just kind of like the atmosphere and whatnot. And it was just different because a lot of people were out. It was freezing cold. And not to say that we were out and, you know, socializing and whatnot, but as a young kid, you know, not knowing whether or not you would get to that point again, I was just trying to take everything in. Um, but when, you know, we won the Super Bowl and the confetti was falling and we were on the field and it was just kind of a culmination of all the, the thoughts and the feelings of the entire season, because this season is super long and just the ups and downs, a lot of personal things that my teammates had gone through and just to kind of see the joy and celebration on their face, especially when their family was able to be united with them on the field. It was it was a great experience. And then to know that it was, you know, chronicled on Sports Illustrated, I'm literally on the field in the middle of one of the issues running with my hands up. So that part was pretty cool. Um, and like you said, it's a great experience and one that not many people get to have. So it's definitely one that I cherish. What has the locker room taught you? Ah, the locker room has taught me a lot about like brotherhood been a highlight for me personally in the last season because my last season was cut short due to an injury um, and I had to have surgery on my tricep and I felt like because I wasn't directly affiliated with you know the ins and outs of the team day-to-day activities kind of the grunts and grinds of practice how the coaches be tripping sometimes in meetings that you know it would have me removed from the team a little bit and you know, naturally it did to a certain extent, but because of what was already ingrained in our locker room and the brotherhood that we established in preseason and training camp, like it low key extended into my house where a lot of the teammates would come in, you know, after practice just to check on me, see how things were going or, you know, want to come in and, you know, pluck my ear. I'm one of the older season vests on the team. And so they wanted to, you know, especially being younger guys or guys who were coming from the NFL not really understanding, you know, the game and dynamic of the CFL and how things work. Um, It was just, you know, a great thing for for me and where I was in in my mental state. Um, But also, like I said, an extension of the locker room and to show that, you know, the mentality is is brotherhood, regardless of it's the locker room or it's my house or it's, you know, now that people are in the States and some people are in Canada, it's just, you know, what we've established uh, as far as, you know, family. And, and that aspect is, is strong and one that I appreciate. And yeah, it all generated from the locker room uh, and us veterans, you know, establishing what we wanted the vision of the team to be. And that's, you know, family. So. In getting injured, how did that affect your mental health? Man, it was, it was difficult. I think that I was probably bordering the same level of kind of depression and and frustration and just just questioning uh, that I did when I got released from New York, because instead of it being, you know, me being young and vibrant and feeling like an opportunity was taken from me, it's now I'm more seasoned in my years. I was at the end of my contract. I was actually, you know, playing well and starting to, you know, see certain things uh, fall into place the way that I had, had envisioned them to. And it was kind of all in an instance, which truly it was in the pregame out in BC, that it was all kind of just taken away. And it was disheartening because my responsibilities in this position, I felt like were greater. And that was what was important to me at the time. Um, You know, I had just been engaged, you know, and understanding that this was kind of all that I had knew at the time as far as what could contribute to our immediate life moving forward um, and kind of that being uncertain kind of let me be uncertain about things and 
then my emotions and my feelings about things got bigger than what they needed to be, especially since I, you know, say that I'm a man of faith. My my vision was was skewed and I was seeing things as far as what reality was and not what God had placed in my heart and understanding that if he kept me then, he'd keep me now. And so after my kind of, you know, few months of kind of soaking and kind of trying to put things in perspective, not because I was feeling sorry for myself as far as soaking, just because I felt like the opportunity to start a life in a new chapter with a beautiful woman was kind of put on pause and hold because of me, if that makes any sense. Um, but again, like I said, God was trying to show me that these things aren't, you know, because of myself. It's not anything that I can or can't do that makes it happen. It's more so if it's his will or not. And I think once I had that realization, um, things started to slowly fall into place. Not to say they immediately got better, but like I said, my vision wasn't skewed anymore. Um, I did actually have that realization of of true faith and trust in realizing that if he literally had me come here six years prior, you know, with maybe 5,000 in my account, just on a whim, trying to make it work in Canada, that, you know, he sustained me over six years. Why wouldn't he sustain me now? Uh, my mom has always said <laughs> he didn't bring you this far to leave you. So I figured I'd start listening and and heeding her word as well as his. So that's when I think that, you know, my, my mind and perspective changed. And that's what was different uh, as far as my second bout, what could have been a serious state of depression, because I've, I've definitely been there before. Injuries could definitely expose your deepest fears. That is for sure. Did you ever find yourself beating yourself up for things that you could have done better in training to prevent the injury? Or was it just really like a impact that got you there? No, like most, like most. My two major injuries, which I've had surgery on my left elbow and I had surgery on my right elbow, my rookie year in the NFL, were both fluke accidents. Like my surgery <clears throat> in 2010 is actually one in which they said they've never seen outside of high impact car vehicle accidents. So that was one that was kind of like you said, one that we can just chalk up as a, <laughs> what are the odds that's gonna happen? And then when we go to my, my tricep, it was pretty much the same thing uh, as far as it being a, a fluke. Like there was nothing, that had happened or transpired. I was actually feeling the, the best I had ever felt um, physically, uh, especially with this offseason, focusing more on, you know, strength and conditioning from an aspect of where my age is instead of where, where my mind thinks that I'm at. And I think that that was huge and important and actually working with the trained professionals. So from a physical standpoint, I don't think that it was anything more I could have done. Um, I just think that it was just one of those things that, you know, for the time being, it kind of needed to happen for my spiritual as well as my mental for me to be at this next level if football is not something that I can do anymore. Um, and I don't think that at that time, actually, I don't think I know at that time I wasn't spiritually mature enough or mentally mature enough to handle what could potentially be my life for without football. But because of that, what I've had to endure Kind of the people who showed themselves steady and constant in truth of that process. I know that with or without football, like I have the support that I need. I know who I am truly now, you know, that I said I'm feeling comfortable and God's revealing more of who he wants me to be in this season that it's, it's not necessary for me to, to hold on to football. So, Who has made the biggest impression on who you are becoming today? Oh, man, that's a sticky question. Someone that's just really had that impact on you. Can I, okay, I'll go with two, if that's all right. That's okay. You can have they're, two. They're, they're low-key equals now. Um, I would say my mom, and the only reason I'm saying that is because as I'm doing things just around the house or as I'm processing, um, I just find myself doing it the way that she does it. And I refine myself. <laughs> there was one time I was up in the morning, like 5, 5.30, and I'm cleaning, and I'm doing this and that. And the process of me cleaning, like, you know... Um, you know, maybe I'm, you know, going down my to-do list or, you know, I'm just, you know, praying or I'm talking to God or whatever the case may be. And I remember sometimes where I wake up and I see my mom doing the exact same thing. And it was just like, I questioned it then because I didn't understand, but now like I get it. And it's something that I literally find myself has become a habit that I can't literally function comfortably without doing certain things like that. 
Um, the second person out of side of that, I would say is my fiance, uh, Kayla Marie Williams, soon to be Tracy. Uh, and that's because she's challenging me, man. Like she's really pushing me in so many different areas. And sometimes I think she knows it because she obviously wants me to be better. And sometimes I don't think she does, but either way, it's just really causing me to, to dig deeper and be like more of that person that God has kind of like flashed that I could be. And it's, it's fun at times. It's aggravating at times, but overall, like once I'm able to remove my feelings and my emotions and I'm able to look at it with just a, like a sober mind and just complete neutrality, I can see just like over the span of time that she's been in my life, how I've been able to develop. And I'm just grateful for that. So I would say those two, as far as just the impact of like, my mom is stealing things in me as far as the foundation that I see coming to fruition now. And then the things that Kayla is just kind of doing, whether she knows it or not, I know y'all women probably do know y'all be doing it, but either way it's working as far as just me becoming the man that I need to be for her and, and for our future family. So what have you learned from being in a relationship to soon being married? Uh, what have I learned from being in a relationship to soon being married? Sacrifice. Lord Jesus, sacrifice. My, yo, it's not about you. And that's when you know that you truly love somebody. And that's when you know that there's love present and that you can expound on that. And there's something more is when like sacrifice is something that even if you wrestle with, you do. And sometimes you just find yourself doing it not knowing, but I think the more that I realize, like, oh, like I said, she's challenging me. She's pushing me to do something that no one else could get me to do, but because of like my love and appreciation for you and trusting that this is not to my detriment or to your detriment, like I'm gonna do it. And I think that that has been probably the most resounding thing because in previous relationships, I think that I said that I was sacrificing, but I was more so preserving as far as like doing the things that I found myself comfortable doing, but not doing the things that I knew I potentially needed to do for it to be better. Whether I felt comfortable doing it or just didn't want to do it, but it was just a red flag for me that that wasn't probably the, the proper relationship to be in. Um, because like I said, knowing that my relationship and my faith in Christ should be synonymous because it said that, you know, Christ and the church should relation should, should be a reflection of the husband and the wife. And he sacrificed for us. So that means that I got to sacrifice for her, whether I want to or not, just understanding that complete dynamic of sacrifice as a whole. Yeah. Mr. Tracy, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. All these gems need to be in a book. Oh my gosh. And people keep it as a keepsake. It's like sacrifice. I agree with you a thousand percent in relationships. Like it is all about sacrifice and it's almost, that's the way it's like, and you know, you talk so much about your faith and you know, that's the first sacrifice, you know, when God sent Jesus to earth, he sacrificed his son. So, I mean, I hear you. And it's, it's, it really is that sacrifice that really defines, you know, the difference and, and, and really takes your love to another level as well. Yes. Yes. So true. So true. Because like after, and I tell Kayla this all the time, usually when there's something that I don't want to do and I know that I should do it, it's the biggest blessing. Like it, it without fail. And when I realize that, that's just causing it, it's challenging me and it's pushing me to then expand like what I understand sacrifice is just because if I'm on the other position, like my shoes on the other foot and I'm in the position of needing grace and mercy and somebody to either potentially sacrifice, like I would want them to just give <laughs> just without thought, without hesitation. So if that's what I'm expecting from somebody else, I've got to then be able to give it. And it's amazing because somebody I was listening to um, on <laughs> YouTube or might've been a podcast, he was saying like, can you, what, what did he say? Can you measure up to the requirements that you require? Like what you're asking of other people to do, do you yourself do it? 
and like the accountability measure that's handled in that and and all oh man it just kind of took me down a different path but yeah it's in the same breath of that like I want somebody to be able to give me grace mercy sacrifice so then I want to be able to do those things for those people as well Tired of being tired? Seeking to build your self-confidence? Are you feeling uncomfortable in your skin? It's time to move with Kim. Studies have shown that in this era of exponential growth of the metabolic syndrome and obesity, lifestyle modifications have been proven to be one of the most effective ways to improve your health and quality of life. Let's chat about you, your goals, and how we will get you there. Send your inquiries to hello at kimniles.com and let's start conditioning your mental and physical health today. Adrian, how do you handle having uncomfortable conversations? <sighs> I'm, still, I'm still working on that one. I'm not even going to lie to you. Um, I think the first thing, the first thing I got to do is just ask for discernment because I think a lot of the things that we may deem uncomfortable or we may feel like uh, we don't want to entertain at the moment, like we got to prioritize. Like, is it super important? Is it necessary to address at this moment? Is it you caught up in your feelings? Is it you being frustrated? Like, is there some self-evaluation that needs to be had before you even, you know, approach having a conversation? And if it is to that degree of being important, right, then I would say the next thing as far as it being the uncomfortable stage is just go back to what I just said. If it's uncomfortable, but you know you need to do it, then there's probably like a blessing at the end of it. Not to say that it's what you're looking for, you're expecting, but understand that like there's a reason why you've got to do it. There's growth in there. There's a process for you, you know, to to be refined, in my opinion. Um, So for me, it's just asking discernment. If this is something I need to entertain, okay, cool. Yes, Adrian, this needs your attention right now. And this is why you feel uncomfortable about it because you, oh, I need to check myself first. All right, cool. Let me check myself. Let me realize where I'm coming from. Not being a place of like confrontation or a place of trying to be right. That was my biggest problem. If there was really something I was uncomfortable talking with and I was trying to like, oh, left, right, dodge it. It was because I'm trying to get my point across of being right. Whether I knew I was right or wrong, it was more so being right as opposed to just resolving the issue or just understanding like if we're working towards the same thing, then we should be on the same team. Even though we may have differences, we should still be able to work and mitigate towards the common goal, which is figuring out why this is uncomfortable. Like a perfect example is because of COVID, my fiance had to move in with me just to spare some of the people that she was staying with her grandparents, the potential risk of being, you know, COVID positive because her being in the field, Toronto metro area. And my brothers lived with me, uh, come up here, was initially enrolled in Mac and has made a transition out of that. But that dynamic of three people living in a small household, being around each other over and over and over had kind of ran its course. And so, it was an uncomfortable conversation that needed to be had, right? As far as the dynamics of living together. Like that's something that, you know, if people who ever have roommates, they understand. If people who just live with that annoying sibling who, you know, don't do not do the stuff to make the shower clean and leaving hair in the sink, and you, then, you, then you get it. So it was an uncomfortable conversation, but I knew it needed to be had because at the end of the day, you get to understand where everybody's coming from, right? So if you're coming from this this side and I'm coming from this side, is there a place that we can meet? Or if not, then do we need to adjust our direction so we can? Or are we just really on a completely left detour that we're not seeing eye to eye? But at least you're at the point where you can communicate it and it can be said and there's no assumption. And I think that that's a lot of the reason why things are uncomfortable, because there's a lot of assumptions. There's a lot of things that people want to fill in the gap with their own mind as opposed to going to maybe the source. And just being like, yo, this is where I stand and how I feel about this situation. Where are you coming from? You know, and so with that particular situation in my household, once we were able to literally set it on the table, we realized like, oh, shoot, (laughs) we were all the way left as far as our assumptions. But like, we're not as far off as we think as far as what we want. So, shoot, let's just go ahead and make these couple of changes and realize, okay, cool. 
we're good moving forward because we're all on the same page. But like I said, I think it's uncomfortable because we don't give other people the respect or the liberty of explaining their side to understand, okay, cool. This is where we are and this is where we can go. What's the biggest lesson you've learned about your ego? The biggest lesson I've learned about my ego, embrace when it's checked. Like if you ever have a feeling like where you feel disrespected or you feel embarrassed or you feel, well, actually those two, those two things for me personally are what I've kind of been experiencing more so lately. So I'll speak on those. When I had those emotions that would rise up, it was always my thing to first dive into football, go to practice and just exert that energy. But I'm realizing that, you know, instead of using it as something like, man, I got to prove this or I got to prove that, like, it's, it's for me just a sense to like reflect and be like, all right, cool. Like, why did it strike me like that? Like, why did I feel disrespected? Like, if I know that I'm this and I'm that, then why did what that person say really edge me like that? Should I give them that power to, to have that control of my emotions? Or is it, whoa, 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 it did like this because they actually did disrespect you. Now you need to not necessarily handle a situation in a physical manner, but now you need to like stand your ground, state your case, show them that like this is not going to be able to be permitted moving forward if like we're rocking with each other. Um, and so outside of that, when it was times in which I got checked and it was like, oh, like they're right. It was a humbling experience. And I realized like in those moments, like those are needed, like those are seeds of growth. Those are processes in which, like I said, we have the opportunity to really, all right, cool. I got checked because I was out of line, like cool, moving forward. I know I can't do this. I can't do that. One of my biggest things is, is like, I don't like setbacks. I don't like holdups. I like being able to smooth sailing, you know? So when I do have moments like that where I'm checked, I got to make sure that my reaction isn't going to hinder me. I don't want to be hindered. So whether it's, like I said, something that I agree with or not, if it's moving me in a direction opposite of where I want to go, then I don't want to do it. But like I said, when my ego's been checked, most of the times it's when I've been out of line. So I embrace those moments. I've been embarrassed because I thought that I was doing too much. And I was, you know, I've been disrespected because I did step out of line. I wasn't doing this and they felt disrespected. So that's why they... You know, so like I said, it's times in which you got to do a lot of self-evaluation because if you're for me, as I've grown and I've realized, like if I'm confident and comfortable with who I am, a lot of those moments in which I'm uncomfortable or embarrassed will be diminished because I'm not going to be able to be so reactive to everything that's going on around me. Like I'll be able to set the tone. I'll be a therm. What they say? Yeah, I'll be the thermostat instead of the thermometer, you know? Like, I'm not reacting to what's going on to my environment. Like, I set the tone and the environment then falls in line. Or, you know, all right, I'm done. That's it. <laughs> Adrian, what's your biggest fear? <sighs> it's a real question. Dang. See, the first word that jumped in my head is failure, but it's not failure. It's not failure. My biggest fear is not maximizing my potential. Like, my biggest fear is if I die and I have that feeling of I could have done more or I could have reached that person or I should have done this when I had the opportunity to, like, I don't want to feel like I missed out on anything. And so, like I said, as I'm being more comfortable with who I am and understanding like what my purpose is, I want to be able to then maximize and tap in on that. I feel like up until this point, I've been able to maximize and tap in on everything for everybody else. And so now at this opportune moment where it's, you know, a space in which I have a decent platform, like I said, I understand who I am as a man. I'm very adamant about my faith. Like I want the culmination of those ingredients to be able to push me forward that the ideas that I have in my head, I just tap in and that potential is max. So like the Bible says, when I'm, when I'm dead and gone and I'm standing before God, he can, he can be like, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, I don't want to be in a position where, it's like the parable with the talents and the dude that had one talent and was nervous about what to do with it and held on to it and just gave it back to the master. He was like, like, why didn't you, why didn't you go and plant and, and distribute and, and give what I gave you so that it could potentially grow? Like this, this did nothing. It didn't benefit you because <laughs> you're nervous and you're not, you know, flowing what I created. I gave it to you for a reason because I'm trusting and I'm having faith in you that you'll do with it what I know you can do with it. And so. It's 
something that I don't want to hear him say, you know? So now that, like I said, I'm in a space where I understand the things that I do have and what I'm able to do, I just want to go forth and tap into that potential and continue to push, push, and push. They say a purposeful person is a sentence. So their life can be summed up in a sentence. So if you were going to have a sentence that represented Adrian Tracy, what would that sentence be? It could be what it is now or what you would like it to be. So it would start Adrian Tracy is or lived his life as faithful to the end. Yeah, I like that. Faithful. You're good with that one? Faithful to the end. Just because <clears throat> I feel like in order for you to be faithful, like you've got to understand what it is that you know you're pushing toward, what is you're connected to, what it is that you're seeing through. And like I said, now that I've been in this stage of going through my ups and downs and ebbs and flows of life, like I understand what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. And those things give me purpose. It gives me a feeling inside that I really cannot explain, but like when I'm flowing in that, like I know it. So I want to be just faithful to that because I know it's what God is prescribing me to do. I want to be faithful in that until the end. Cause I know if I'm faithful to that until the end, that like everything and everybody I'm supposed to touch and everybody that's supposed to be able to be changed because of my life will be able to, to experience that. So. What would you say are two lessons you know you've learned now that you wish you knew earlier? Patience is truly a virtue. Patience is truly a virtue and I'm 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 still in the process of learning that, but the only reason I threw that in there is cuz I needed to be solidified. Like I needed to be a I know that for a fact instead of me continuing to go through the process. So as I'm saying it, I'm telling myself, patience is a virtue. That's that's definitely one. Um, and the other lesson that I've learned is, ah, like, like you're not alone. You're not alone. Like for me, like I said, a man of faith, God has always been there with me. I believe that to a fact because there's so many times that I've, I can think back to where I don't know how I got home or how I didn't end up in a situation that I should have been because of certain acts. But even still outside of that, knowing that, you know, my mom was praying for me, my dad, my grandma, my aunts, you know, my uncles and, you know, my church family and whatnot, like prayer really works and it does change this thing. And I think because of those those two things that I do understand, like for me personally on my journey this far, like I, I realized that I've never been alone, regardless of what it is that I felt regardless of whatever it is that, you know, reality may have presented itself as far as me feeling isolated or feeling like I was down and out. Cause like I said, I've had depressive moments. I've had suicidal moments. I've been, I've been all over the place with, you know, emotions as far as, as that, that goes. So those were the times in which, you know, I believed the lie. I believed the lie that I was by myself, that there was no opportunity. There was no hope. There was no support. There was no God. There was all these things that, you know, were giving me reasons not to believe, but like in, in spite of all those things, like I realized, like I wasn't by myself, you know, I wasn't in a position to believe the lies that were being told to me. And I think that that's a lot of the reason why I'm here. Like I said, faith, obviously, and, and the support, the support that I've had from family and friends. Um, so yeah, those would probably be the two lessons, patience, and that probably plays into it, right? I think a lot of the things that I experienced to understand that I wasn't alone required me to have patience because <laughs> I had to go through the trials, the tests and tribulations to realize like who was really there with me in order for me to say that I wasn't alone. <laughs> and in those times, it was God for sure. Uh, and like I said, my family and friends who are, who are still with me to this day. When you look back now, growing up in a single parent household, what did you learn from that experience? There's no substitute for hard work. There's no substitute for hard work. But I think in the process of that too, I realized that hard work can only get you so far, right? Like I saw my mom do a lot of the things that she did by herself because she felt like she had to. And I think that a lot of that instilled in her hard work and certain work ethic and self-discipline that I, that I see today. But I also think that there comes a fine line between like knowing whether or not you can do something by yourself and it's difficult or knowing whether or not you need, you know, the assistance of other people to get you to that next level. 
Um, and so I think that it was a great, I think it was a great example of, like I said, my, my work ethic, my discipline, like how I attacked football, how I attacked the classroom, how I attacked like where I am in life to this point was a lot of because like what I saw her have to struggle through, have to continue to endure, have to push, heard the cries, heard the prayers, seen her reading the Bible, all these things, waking up early in the morning, listening to gospel songs on Sunday, going to church, being a church. Like I've seen those things. Right. So I appreciate like that foundation was established because I don't think that she would be in that position if she had, you know, a husband or we had a regular family, you know, cause then she might've leaned on that more so than leaning on her faith. And then, like I said, moving forward, I feel like you can only go so far by yourself. Like I need, like, if I want to get to where I know, you know, God has the desires for me and my family, like, I got to go with Kayla. Like, that's that's the vision that I had when I was younger, that I was going to have a wife, we're going to have two dogs, we're going to have three kids, we're going to like, and she's the piece that's part of that in order for me to move forward. But if I continue to think that I can have the vision be achieved by me just working hard and doing this and doing that, like, I'm missing part of the pieces. I don't get the kids, you know, I don't get the wife, I don't get certain things. And so I think that, like, me growing up in a single parent household has allowed me to see both dynamics. And that's especially being, I guess, a male too. Um, and, and seeing that dynamic and knowing certain things that I want to establish now for, for my family and what I want, you know, for, for my wife moving forward and not having certain things on her plate uh, and just making life something that, you know, she can really appreciate and really enjoy and really feel like, you know, she can flow in being herself and being a wife and being a mother and, and all those things. So I learned a lot from my mom. I learned a lot of things that I appreciate. Like I said, that I keep in my back pocket and that continue to help me construct and move forward. And I also learned a lot of things that, you know, I, I would like to change or, you know, amend a little bit moving forward just to potentially put, you know, my family in a, in a better situation, which is everybody's, which is everybody's goal, right? To have the next generation be further along than, than where they were. As we begin to wrap up, how have you been coping through COVID? Ah, coping through COVID. So the biggest thing I think has been running. And I know it's crazy because it's the winter time, but I did get out here quite a few while it was frigid and just get out and run. Because for me, it's something that I needed for um, just like a new challenge. I'm an athlete, obviously, but I'm usually running like sprints. So we're talking about, you know, 200 meters is probably the max I'm running. I'm not running further than that. So when I go out and I'm running 5Ks, 10Ks on a consistent basis, it's causing me to push myself in a physical manner. But knowing that I had a certain limit physically and also tapped in mentally, which for me, my mental and my spiritual aspect are, are kind of intertwined as far as like when I get tired and I get exhausted, I realize like, all right, cool. <laughs> Like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm just reciting scripture as, you know, my body's feeling like it's about to collapse. And, you know, my mental's causing me to push, like, you know, continue to endure, continue to go because, you know, Christ didn't stop. <laughs> and these are the thoughts that I'm having, like, your mom didn't stop, you know? So it's like running for me took me to where when I first got to collegiate football, like where weightlifting took me, where it was like, all right, cool. Like you thought you was lifting in high school. Like this is the next level and you've got to maintain this. And if not excel, if you want to play at the next level. So, yeah. Final thought. What would your message be to your younger self? My message to my younger self would be forgive yourself, have patience, and believe what God put in your heart. Yeah. Beautiful. Adrian, it has been my pleasure to share space with you today. You have dropped so many gems on this episode. Like your people are going to have to listen to this a couple of times just to digest everything that you, you laid out for us here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, no, I appreciate you having me. And hopefully I didn't run off on a, too many tangents. I know I can do that at times, but I just wanted to get, you know, my story out there and what I felt like was some value. Like you said, there's 
a message in the mess. And I believe there's definitely a, a testimony through your test. And so continue to have faith, like I said, continue to push forward and, and endure and, and trust that there's glory on the other side. You've been listening to the Make Your Mark podcast. You can visit our website and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at makeyourmark.ca. And please subscribe, rate, and review.